I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's a Welcome to the second AI Sinbin podcast. Today, we're going to take a look at the Southern Hemisphere teams and their World Cup prospects. I'm your host, Dave Caron. I'm in Pipa, Rio Grande do Norte in Brazil. And tonight, I'm joined on the pod by Andrew McGough, uh, a Kiwi from Wellington in New Zealand. He's got out of bed at this on a godly hour of the morning to be with us. So thanks very much for appearing on the pod, Andy. You're very welcome. That's a pleasure to be on. Pleasure to be on, Dave. Pleasure to have you. Second up, we have Brent Ventner, a staffer from uh, Johannesburg in South Africa, who's going to chat to us all about the prospects of the mighty Springboks. How are you? How are you tonight, Brent? Yo, Dave. Good to be on. Lovely to have you, man. And finally, we have George Bergman, who was on our first uh, podcast. He's one of our resident Welshmen, but he's sort of taken on the role of a super sub as he's deputising for our Australian contingent tonight, uh, as one's on a plane and the other had to work. So, uh, as I say, you're fast becoming our super sub. <laughs> Glad to be here. I think sort of utility back player is what I'm looking for at the moment. <laughs> Perfect. Listen, what I'm going to do first of all, uh, as we did in the first pod, I'm just going to go around the table first and, and you can get, introduce yourselves a little bit uh, about how you started following rugby, your love of the game, what teams you follow and your favourite players, etc. As, as the world champions, I think it's only fair that we come to the Kiwi first. Andrew, the floor's yours. Go ahead, mate. Cheers, Dave. Yeah, uh, for the people who don't know me as a uh, as a rugby fan, I, I started playing rugby when I was about uh, seven years old. Came from a strong football family, uh, Scottish father and grandparents, and and they were pretty upset, to be honest, that I'd uh, chosen to chase the oval ball. Uh, most of it was down to my school friends at the time playing and, and just having a bit of interest to, to see what they were up to on a Saturday morning. So I uh, yeah I just joined the local club and and uh, yeah that that started my my love affair with with playing rugby. Uh, so I uh, naturally as a yeah, a Kiwi you you do have aspirations to be an All Black. That's uh, as a rugby player that that's all you want to do. And um, 
when you when you when you're playing, you you kind of pretend that you're all yeah playing practicing in your backyard, pretending that you're you're so and so current rugby player playing for New Zealand and. Yeah, I think it was me and my mates. We all used to do that. We'd, we'd meet up on the weekend, or you know, after school, and kick a ball around and play a bit of uh, force back or a bit of uh, I think it, English guys call it British bulldog or something, but a bit of um, ball rush we used to call it here. So you're just uh, basically just trying to hit each other as hard as you can in the tackles. Um, in terms of following rugby, my my limit really is uh, other than with sevens where you get to see a bit more exposure of other sides. Is mainly just limited to to the New Zealand uh, and and the and the Super 15. Uh, so my team here is the is the Wellington Hurricanes. So bit of a bit of a long suffering fan. We we haven't haven't won the competition yet, but we have uh, have made the final in the the season just been. Uh, were the favourites going in and and did a good old Wellington trick of bottling it when it mattered most. And in terms of players, so I, I grew up and and you know the '87 World Cup was the first one that I well, it's the first one, but the the one that I remember with the likes of of John Koo and breaking through. But in terms of favourite players from the past, it's hard for me to go past the the Wellington boy of uh, Christian Cullen. Just excitement every time he got the ball, and and I guess being able to follow his career from from start to finish was uh, such an exciting player. And, and unfortunately, with uh, with some injuries, it, it slowed his pace, and we had a coach come in who, who dumped him, and that was a bit of a shame. Uh, and the other one was was Lomu. He's a worldwide phenomenon. Everyone everyone knows who he is. Rugby rugby world, and uh, you know he really changed the face of rugby, and, and he captured the hearts and imaginations of Kiwis. So they're, they're probably the two the two Kiwi players that stood out the most for me. You really do have an embarrassment of riches to choose from. You know, I was I was very curious to see who you'd actually go for. Because like the All Blacks, it's, it's just legend upon legend upon legend, uh, and you know the very very top top of the game. And, and Colin's a great shout. Lomu is pro- probably my own for personal favourite. I've just never ever seen the devastation like it on a rugby field. Don't ever think I'll see it again. Uh, but anyhow, Brent, for yourself uh, over in South Africa, how did you get into following rugby, and, and you, who do you follow, and, and your favourite players, etc. Thanks, Dave. It's yeah, it's just, it's a strange one, but not a strange one actually for South Africa. I think we we grew up uh, watching rugby. It's pretty much uh, you know it's our national sport probably for for guys like me, um, middle class white dudes. It's it's just it's part of our DNA. I think you 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 kind of have have um, a bit of Afrikaans blood in you, and it's all about being macho and being part of like the rough and tumble. I went to an English primary school where we didn't we didn't play rugby. It wasn't a sport that was offered, which was obviously disappointing. So you know, at break times, you'd you'd uh, someone would bring an old battered rugby ball along, back when there was still leather, and you'd just smash each other to pieces on the rugby uh, field. Um, well, it was a soccer field back then, and you know you get shouted at by the teachers. You you sort of come to class with torn torn shirts and grass stains and, you know, roasties as we call them, a couple of black eyes from, from you know, heavy hits and a couple of elbows. But, but that was kind of part of, part of life growing up. You, you kind of smash each other and have fun and you mates afterwards. Obviously, my dad played rugby. It was kind of, um, again, in, in my DNA, just growing up and, and playing the sport as well. You know, I wasn't allowed to play it officially in high school because my mom was a bit of a, a typical worrying mother. So I managed to eventually get my way in matric to play rugby. But 
in terms of playing experience, quite limited, but I think like all of us, we have so much viewing experience and, and couch, couch coaching experience. In terms of teams, um, normally in South Africa, you kind of support your region, so where you're born and where you lived. Um, I, I spent the first eight years of my life living in the, the Lions territory in Johannesburg, but then moved to Pretoria later on. So I'm actually a Bulls fan. Um, we've, we've, yeah, we've obviously won a couple of times. I'm sure Andrew will remember when we destroyed the Chiefs in that one final with uh, Monet Stain, I think was probably our best side ever. Players, you know, if, if you look at New Zealand, they have an absolute embarrassment of riches um, in, in backs. I think South Africa, we have the most amazing loose forwards that you can begin to, to imagine. You can pretty much pick any, any loose trio from any province, and that's a Springbok side for you. So, you know, I have very fond memories of, of a lot of good, um, good flankers and eighth men from back in the day. Probably Andre Fenta was quite a big one for me just because he was a monster of a man. I think uh, probably a bit more currently would be um, someone like Willem Alberts, also a monster of a guy, but, but um, you know, hell of a nice guy to sort of chat to and just spend a bit of time with. It's actually hard to choose, you know, that one flank or that one eighth man. It's just, you know, the, the riches that we have. If I think back to players, obviously 95 World Cup, I, my, my hero was James Small. Um, we don't talk about that, Brent. <laughs> yeah, the food poisoning. I think James Small, we, we, all, we all had, you know, he's a, he's a bit of a bad boy and, and uh, he was a bit of a darling for, for, for the ladies. And we all took a lot of pride in the fact that, that uh, Lomu didn't manage to, to score, you know, to, to run, run over him and score past him. And obviously, yeah, I think, I think US fan of Estazen is, is really topical for us at the moment just because just of his, his um, illness. Um, you know, looking back to the glory of 95 and, you know, him tackling Jonah Lomu face on and then um, looking at him now, it's obviously quite, quite sad and, and quite heartbreaking. But, you know, also a hero, um, great scrum half and, and one of those guys you could ter- sort of turn a game on its head. Um, yeah, I think probably currently, I think we Andre, Andre Pollard, um, kind of sort of incumbent Bach fly off, massive, massive future for him. And there's actually a, a Bulls player coming through, which you wouldn't have seen yet. He's playing Curry Cup, Dries Swanepoel. He's um, outside centre. He's looking really, really good for the Bulls. So expect to see him in a box side in the, in the near future. Yeah, that's cool. A lot of info there, and I'll go across to, to George again. I know you've done it, George, but you just want to give us a rundown. Maybe some, some people didn't catch the first pod uh, about your involvement with rugby. Yeah, absolutely, mate. So, um, so I know I've, I've always, always played since I was little, so through school and then through university. So I think it's always always been kind of there. Um, and as I said in the first pod, my, my grandpa played to, to a pretty good level. He played for Swansea and later for Leicester. Um, he played against the touring All Black side actually, which was he said was a pretty pretty um, pretty terrifying experience. And and yeah, it's, it's, it's just just sort of always been there through 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 school and stuff. And um, you know, quite a few years following um, all all the Welsh regions, uh, specifically Cardiff, which has been um, particularly demoralising. Which is especially the last couple of years haven't been good at all. Um, I think sort of home defeats to Italian sides are uh, pretty spectacular. So. Um, 
so yeah, in terms of players, you know, I, I, I think I said last week I'm a, I'm a big Quay Cooper fan. You know, he's such an erratic player, but um, when he's on song and you know when he was playing alongside Wilgenia for the for the Queensland side that won Super Rugby, I think 2011, something like that. They're just special, and then he he, he just does things other people can't do. The the other one I mentioned, I think last week was Gavin Henson's, another guy who could just just do anything on a rugby field. Just a massively waste of talent, really. And then, yeah, in, in, in terms of um, Wellington, actually, there's a guy who I'm really glad got into the All Black squad. There, Milner Scudder, who is just, I, I, he's just, he's, he's just bordering on a freak, actually. Um, he, he's going to have a big tournament if he get. I, I don't know if he'll get in the side or not, um, but but if he does, then I think he'd be a pretty good bet on top try scorer. He's just people can't get near him. He's just got that expect. He reminds so many of us of Cullen, just the the hip swivel and the upper body strength, and just the he just seems to glide. and he always gets the ball away as well. You know, he always offloads if he does get caught, and he's, it's really rare you see someone who can just go past people like he does. And he, you know, he played. What did he play? He played um, against uh, the Wallabies at Eden Park, and he's just not. He's not daunting. You know. You wonder slightly with some players: is the step up to test level going to be a bit tricky? And just no problem. Like you know, I think he's he, he could be there for a long time. So no, definitely him. Really excited to watch. And then you know, maybe on the South African front, Jesse Creel, who they've moved up to thirteen uh, from fullback, um, where he played a lot for the Bulls, and he's just another guy who's come straight in at test level and 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 just sort of you know, I I, I think the, the really um, the All Blacks and the Wallabies, when they played against them in the Rugby Championship, they, see they just couldn't cope with him and uh, and Dalendi in the centre. So I, I, I don't know if Jean de Villiers will come back in. I'll be interested to see what Brent has to say about that later, whether he's going to start or not. But but Jesse Creel's just, I think, I think he's 21. It's, it's unbelievable. He's a really special player. So um, so no, all of all of those guys, looking forward to seeing them play. No doubt we're going to we're going to discuss many of those in the next hour. Uh, as for myself, just a quick run through. I'm, I'm an exiled Ulsterman. Uh, I support Ulster through and through. I was a season ticket holder up until I left uh, left Northern Ireland in 2010. You know, I played a bit of rugby up at the schools level. I, I used to be quite a half decent fullback until the beer got me and dragged me another way. Um, as I say, uh, my favourite player of all time is Jonah Lomu. As I, said, as, as I said earlier, I've never seen devastation quite like it on, on, on a rugby field. Uh, and what he left in his wake, as, as I say, you know, the All Blacks have turned out some awesome players, but he, for me, is head and shoulders above anything I ever saw. Probably my favourite all-time Irish player would have to be O'Driscoll. Certainly in my lifetime, I've never seen anything better in, in, a, in a green shirt. And uh, of the current crop, I suppose, the player in the Ireland squad that sort of excites me most to see in this World Cup, because I haven't seen an awful lot of him living here, uh, is Peter O'Mahony, um, who, as, as John on the other pod but it's just a nightmare for the opposition. He's just in your face constantly, and I just love that type of a player. But listen, we'll get straight down into the agenda here, and, and again, I'm going to come to Andrew first. Uh, the reigning world champions will give you your place. Um, taking a look at the draw that, that you had in the group and the teams that you'll face, I, I take it from, from an all-black perspective, from a, from, from a Kiwi perspective, you're, you're quite happy and comfortable uh, at the moment then? Yeah, I, I think uh, definitely happy with the lack of quality in the pool. I think the concern with a lot of people is whether we then go into the next round a little bit underdone. You know, we, we play Argentina pretty early on in the piece. 
So yeah, I guess as I say, you know, you you got that one one strong side. So we've got the other teams in our in our pool for people listening on are uh, the Tongans. So you know, it's going to be a hard physical match against Tonga, um, Georgia, uh, and Namibia. Uh, so you'd you'd expect that New Zealand and Argentina would go through at one and two in there. I guess with Argentina, you know, they they do have the quality they. They're starting to win some games against the, the you know the bigger sides. It's just whether they can do it on a on a much more regular basis and away from home. That they uh, I know was it when their World Cup was in France that they they seem to have the wood over France, but they don't seem to be able to produce consistent performances away from home. It was, it was the box that they beat, wasn't it, Brent, over in in, uh, in Argentina? Let's not speak about that. But it wasn't even okay. there. It was oh. it was local. It was here. Oh, I was there. Oh, far out. Yeah. That's just putting my whole theory into. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's just a consistency thing, and I, I do think you know I am confident that uh, that the All Blacks will come out of the pool uh, at at the top top spot. But uh, yeah, the 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 biggest concern is is uh, whether we're just going to have enough of the the hit out against quality opposition to uh, to take it into that that quarter final. No, I hear you on that, and, and you know I've been reading this week, Andrew. I'm, I'm curious uh, to your opinions on this. You, you know, this All Black side this year is, is being touted as probably the greatest they've ever had. You know what I mean? Um, you, you know, they're just serial winners. I think that's the best way of describing them. But you, you know, for for me, South Africa, or South Africa, excuse me, the All Blacks. You know, there's the, the, the perennial underachievers of the World Cup because we expect so much off them. Uh, and, and another aspect as well, another question I would like to put to you as well, you know, the, the six big players that are retiring um, at the end of the tournament, um, Nanu, Conrad Smith, McCaud, and a few, Tony Woodcock, um, you know, they're still at the top of their game, as I would, I would see it. But would you worry with these guys, that, you know, the older guys in the squad, um, you know, McCaw still is the outstanding number seven in the world, um, no doubt about it. Uh, and, and do you see that as being uh, something that will drive them on, or something that could be a hindrance to them? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it'll be a hindrance. Like Mialamu's not not the first choice player there. Um, McCaw clearly still is, but you know you, you've got uh, Kane and an understudy who's going to keep him pretty honest. Um, Wood, Woodcock may not be first choice anymore. Uh, Conrad Smith is clearly still an exceptional player. Um, there is a few concerns around. You know the, the head knocks that he's been starting to receive, um, and and whether you know if he if he takes a head knock in this tournament, um, whether you know he'll actually play that many games. But I think uh, yeah, the All Blacks are quite a grounded side, like a lot more grounded than what our fans can be. Uh, you know, I know the All Black fans have a bit of a reputation of of being a bit of an arrogant bunch, and and I think it just it comes because of the the winning record that that the side has, but. Yeah, I guess if you compare it to the likes of a, you know, the Australian cricket side where they, you know, the players like to announce, particularly Michael Clark here, you know, retirements before uh, while tournaments are still going, you know, the likes of McCaw and that, they don't they don't want really that to, to overshadow anything. Reporters tried to get information out of him, get him to talk about his retirement, but he just refused to do it. All he wanted to do was just focus on the World Cup and focus on the side and. There's a lot in the press here at the moment with the All Blacks talking, Steve Hansen and co talking about uh, how the All Blacks really just have got it wrong in previous World Cups, uh, really just kind of just turning up and that's just the expectation. 2007 in particular, you know, just thought we'd just turn up and, and win. 
um, and uh, you know we 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 learn a, a hard lesson. So yeah, I I, I really don't, I don't think it'll be a hindrance. I think you know looking back to the English side, George, you you'll know it off the top of your head, but was it the '99 side where you were um, had the, some of the older older heads in there um, with with Woodward? What what side was that that you you won the tournament? Mate, this is it. Although I, I I grew up in London, I am I am a Bielesian, so Welshman. So that's it's a slightly slightly trickier one for me. But uh, in 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 '99, I think it would have been. Would it still have been Gusket playing? It, it was a lot of the 03 side. So so might have been 03. Might have been 03 then. When they won it in 03, do you mean? When they won it in Aussie in 03. Oh yeah, so it's all Hill back Johnson the ladder. Yeah, just. The- just the older brigade, but just the uh, the experience, right? They they'd lost at World Cups. They you know had that international experience, and you know they they just knew how to do their role well. And I, yeah, I, I think that's why it's crucial that we bring those experienced guys through. Uh, and and you know if this is their, their swan song, well, you know if we get to a final, maybe it will be a bit of extra motivation for the players to to send those guys off on a high. But you know currently they. It's not sentimental. I mean, Steve Hansen's left guys out of the squad. Who, you know, had he had he be one for favourites, the likes of Corey Jane would have would have still gone. Uh, still, still a great player, but you know, he's he's just not up at that level, and particularly injury just took that game time away from him. So, you know, I think Hansen's picked them on one as as you know, well they are the best best players or the second best player in that position, um, and there's a they are part of that leadership group. Within the All Blacks environment, and I think you can't under underestimate how important it is to have guys like that when you've got a lot of these young guys like Nehemu and Scudder and and Naholo uh, coming through. It's the embarrassment of riches, you know, and and you know we talk about the six players retiring, and and no doubt you'll turn around and tell me now, Andrew, the, the next generation are going to come through to replace them because the Carters, the Woodcocks. I, I take it, you know, I, I'm I'm out of touch with with Southern Hemisphere rugby quite a bit here at the moment. Um, I take it. As usual, the All Blacks just have natural replacements in all those areas, ready to ready to step in. I think that's one of the most exciting parts about this World Cup side and and about this current crop of All Blacks is the deputy in each position. You know, you look at uh, if, if Nonu goes, I know Sunnyvale Williams is there, but Malachi Fikitoa is just as scary as what you know what what Nonu is, and and I think Nonu's just really stepped up a level this year. I think he's been absolutely exceptional player. Um, Sam Kane, you know, he's he is a great understudy to McCaw. He won't doesn't have the same I guess aura about him as what McCaw does. But you know, he had a he had a great Super Fifteen for the Chiefs side, and and uh, he is a great player. Mialamu retiring, he, he's he's already become the number two, uh, potentially number three, but definitely the number two. So, you know, we've got um, we certainly do have depth in those positions. Carter's probably the one that concerns people the most. Uh, when he was out injured, or he's, he's often out injured, but you know, no one's really stepped up and, and grabbed it. We've, I know we've got Cruden is injured and he's going to miss this World Cup, but when Bowden Barrett's coming, he's never really, never really grabbed the opportunity. Uh, I thought Lima Sopoanga played really well when he was over in South Africa, but you know, that was just a one-off game, and it's just whether, whether we've got someone who can just consistently produce, particularly uh, goal kicking. That's been the, the biggest letdown with Cruden and Barrett so far. Has been goal kicking, so I think uh, yeah the the biggest hole I think will be will be Carter out of that bunch. Listen, I'll come across to to, to George here, and and he's going to give us a bit of a rundown on the Aussies who, 
Look, probably like the, the perennial injured beast, uh, something very dangerous. What, what's your feelings on them uh, from, what, from what you've been seeing? I know you watch a lot of the Australian rugby, George. It's weird because no one seemed to fancy them kind of earlier this year and a few months ago. And, and, and quite a lot of people say, you know, their scrum's no good. And, and you know, they've had a lot of turbulence um, in terms of the coaching staff because they had Robbie Deans in the last World Cup who then lost his job there and had Ewan McKenzie and there was a whole sort of, there's a bit of an internal scandal and, and, and he ended up going and then Michael Check has come in and he hasn't really had that long. So it seemed like they were going quite nicely under the radar and then they had this result against the All Blacks uh, at home and suddenly everyone's just sort of saying, you know, they think Australia could really do it. I, I think Australia have always been there or thereabouts. They've got you know, an unbelievable squad of players. So I, I, I think, I think you know, they'll do really well. It's a really tough pull, um, obviously. And you know, in terms of their set piece, a lot of people seem to think off the off the back of a couple of games against a, a you know, especially a Kiwi pack, which I, I don't know what Andrew thinks on this, but you know, Tony Woodcock and Owen Franks in the front row, of, you know, aren't getting any younger. I know Owen Franks particularly this year struggled for a little bit of form. I think people maybe have gotten slightly overexcited about how much their scrum may have improved. But, you know, they're, they're, they'll get Pocock and Hooper on the pitch together, I think. And that's, you know, they're, they're going to steal a lot of ball on the deck. And they've got guys like Falau, they've got Kuridrani outside, who's a great uh, great line breaker for them. So, no, mate, I, 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 think, um, I, I, I think it's hard to see them not getting out of the group. I, I don't think they'll lose both of those games against England and Wales. Um, I, I could very easily see them losing one, but I, I just, you know, they're just you, you back an Aussie side into the corner, they tend to come out punching. So I, I, I think it's hard to see them losing both of those games. And you, the only thing for them is that they've got a lot of a lot of selection doubts. You know, they're not really that settled. So I think it's anyone's best guess as to what the nine, ten, twelve combination is at the moment. You know, are they going to go with Will Genia or is it going to be Nick Phipps, who, whose form is pretty poor? Um, is it going to be Foley or Cooper at 10? No one really knows. And then, you know, Matt Tamua, who I'm a massive fan of, um, at 12 particularly, um, it's just a really, really talented guy. He can kick, tackles well, good runner, great distribution. Um, but Matt Gitto's come back in, and there's a, there's a suggestion that he might play there. So it, the interesting thing about that, this Australia side is that, you, you know, there are probably – at least four or five, six positions at lock as well. You know, not quite sure who they're going to pick. So maybe there's a bit of uncertainty, and that could be a problem. That could be a problem for them. You know, Andrew's talking about you want your guys tried and tested combination who have been there, done that, and this will be a relatively unsettled Wallaby side. They're not going to all play together a lot. So that that will be interesting. You know, they they're a really disjointed side. A lot of um, behind the scenes uh, issues, I guess, with when both Deans was there and um, Ewan McKenzie, and it seemed they seemed to be a lot more united under Checker. Uh, the, the the culture within the, and the environment seems to be a lot more positive, and and I think that's you know that that's a concerning thing as well for the other sides. Is you know you look at that Aussie side from you know before Checker came in, and you you, you probably would think maybe they wouldn't get out of that pool uh, because of the you never know what mentally what Aussie side's going to turn up on the day. But I think they're a, they're a lot stronger for having Checker come in, and and uh, you know they, they they do have some some yeah exceptional talents in that side. 
I, I just think, you know, I completely agree with what Andrew said. I think Czech is a very straight-up bloke. He's very honest. He's very straightforward. And, and I think the players can respect that. And I think that has been a noticeable change. You know, a lot of these guys like Matt Gitto, who played in 2011 under Robbie Deans, they, they, he just didn't get on with him. Um, and, that, and that's a massive problem when you've got that in the squad. So, no, no I, I, I think I agree. I, I, I think they do, they do look much more united, um, which, which is huge. And, um, you know, Czech is also, he's, he's, he's just a good, he's just a really good coach. He's got a great record over in Europe with Leinster and Stade Francais, which, which actually will be really useful coming over, you'd think, in terms of just his awareness of, of, of the game up in the Northern Hemisphere and going to these different grounds and, you know, a, a, a lot of these guys are going to be playing against. So um, that, that can only play in their favour. No, you're absolutely spot on with that, um, George. Uh, you know, he's won, uh, didn't he win two Heineken Cups with Leinster, I believe? Um, I, I think he did. He did one too, he, and he uh, and he does have that knowledge. He has the idea of how the, the the Northern Hemisphere teams will 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 set up in the mindset. But I saw a lovely quote um, about about the Australian side, and I think it, it, it sort of it's the epitome of it all. They are an unpredictable and dangerous animal. They can beat anybody on their day, including themselves. And I think that's really it's the best quote I've seen on Australia coming into this World Cup because it's completely true they can beat anyone but they can also beat themselves would you agree on that? I think on their day they can be they can be pretty special as you say but that you know as I've said they've also they've also got problems you know it, 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 it could you know so that sounds ridiculous it could go well it could go badly but um you know if they have a bad day at the scrum um, and I know Scott CEO they brought in on the loose head gave away a few penalties in the last game against the All Blacks for he, had, he was having issues with dropping his bind. And so, you know, you start to give away scrum penalties and then, you know, you've got a 9-10-12 combination that haven't played a lot together. You know, the, the back row combination, still not quite sure how he's going to put that together. And, you know, people start looking at each other on the field and you just don't have that certainty of, you know, we've, I've played along these guys, alongside these guys before. We've been in this situation. One of the things when you're playing the All Blacks, they just don't panic. You know, they could be 15 points down, and you know they just look at each other and say, "Right, there's no need to panic here," and they just get on with it. I'm Irish. You don't need to. You don't need to tell me this. I'm, I'm Irish. Irish. Well, this, well, you know, com- coming from a Welshman speaking about Australia, I'm struggling to think about the number of games Wales have lost by sort of one to three points to Australia in the past six or seven years. So. um so no, we, we we talk about you know teams who just know how to get results and um, you know they, they'll keep going till the end and they'll back themselves you know even if they're in their own twenty two they'll back themselves to play if they need to so um, so yeah no I I I think um, I think it could go either way but I I think if you're if you're Australian be very optimistic at this stage about 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 your prospects really. Cool. I'm gonna do that. We'll get into it more as the pod goes along. I want to bring uh, Brenton. Because you have, you know, I've been talking, and, and you're not filled full of confidence with this uh, box side. Uh, and I, I was reading today, Brent. Maybe you can fill us in. There, there was a court case for something thrown out on Wednesday, something about uh, you, the, the old uh, racism thing has reared its head again. There was there, there was an action taken against the box. I'm just wondering, will that in turn have a knock-on effect to your prep for the tournament and so on? So that's a relatively unknown political party, which are just rebranding themselves. And there has been quite a lot of, of um, talk about transformation the last probably three or so months um, with South African rugby specifically, but South African sports in general. So it, it, 
it feels very much to me like jumping on a bandwagon and trying to make a name for themselves and get some, some votes in the next election. We all knew that when they did it, it was, it was a joke. It was going to be thrown out. Um, yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it was a silly, silly court case. You know, like I said, it was just for attention. Uh, I don't think there's ever anything in it. Um, transformation is quite a touchy subject in the country at the moment. I kind of understand all points of view. Um, I think I'll speak to 90 for 90% of rugby fans in the country where we don't care who's playing as long as it's the best player. I, I could probably be accused of, you know, that's easy for me to say because I, I've grown up as a white person in a country which has had a difficult past and I haven't experienced the racism. You know, sure, in, in my head, it, it's all, you know, romantic. Okay, well, pick the best side. But I do understand from the other point of view where, where it's been a struggle and people have been excluded on the, on the, on the basis of their skin color that they would like to see a bit more representation. Sure, uh, I still stand by my statement. I still, think, I still believe 90% of South Africans would like to see the best side out there. Color, irrelevant, race, irrelevant, background, irrelevant. If you're the best player for the job, you make the side, you help us win the World Cup. I don't think um, I have many arguments there. Is it just a bit of mischief making? You know, because this has made the press. I'm just, you know, wanting to know, is this like a bit of just trying to get a bit of hype? The next big thing coming for the country is the Springboks and the World Cup. Uh, and you say this is a new political party. Was it, was it almost like a little bit of mischief making um, to, to highlight their cause or, or to highlight their party? Uh, was that maybe more what it was? Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, that's, 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 for me, that's, that's all they've done. They're trying to get more, more publicity for themselves as a party to try and get some votes in the next election. If this wasn't a World Cup year, would they, would they have done it? Guaranteed they wouldn't have. They, they've had, you know, I don't know how, how long in the last few years to, to do the same thing, and they haven't done it then either. So it's fairly obvious to me. They're just trying to cause a bit of trouble, cause some ripples, get their name in the papers, and, and win some votes, plain and simple. So, what do you think of the, of the squad that the, that the box are taking there? Um, I was reading today the, the 14 players over the age of 30 in, in the squad, which is the, which the highest number for any of the teams there. Um, I want to say I know that you've been slightly negative um, going into the World Cup. Um, do, do you want to talk us around that? Yeah, I, I think the, the negativity has been around the start of well, the end of of the season. So, you know, if you look at at a purely um, provincial point of view, our Super 15 sides all struggled. Um, no one really lit the scene. So that's a really a slight concern. Now we look into the internationals and we struggled against even Argentina. So, you know, there is that concern. I think as a nation, we're not as confident as we have been in the past because of those results. Uh, that said, I, I do believe we have a few sort of mitigating circumstances around these internationals where... You know, guys are trying to play. They're trying to sort of play play themselves safe, if if that makes sense. They're scared of injuries. The last thing you want to do is play against Argentina in your last international before before the World Cup and get injured, and then rule yourself out of the World Cup. So it's not it's not for me a good enough excuse. But I I understand where they come from. Um, in terms of the squad, <laughs> there's there's it's it's a joke in South Africa uh, with the rugby fans where we say 
no one will ever be happy. Not everyone will be happy with the Springboks squad. No matter who is chosen, there will always be a group of fans who will complain about exclusions or inclusions. Um, personally, I'm quite excited. My, my only issue is with John de Villiers. I, I think he's over the hill. I think he's way past it. That, for me, is a sort of... He's chosen on, on the romance of he's had a miraculous comeback from a broken leg. You know, he's missed World Cups where we, where we won a World Cup and he was originally included, but he couldn't make it because of injury. I think this is purely, a, a, you know, kind of... He's been chosen because he's missed out on those things. Um, yeah, that, that's... Almost uh, like I a last one song, so to speak, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think we... we as a general fan group, we we don't believe he's going to play every game, and a lot of us are questioning if he'll break down or not before the latter stages. I don't think he'll cost us matches by any means. He's solid and he's reliable, but he's not going to break a game like like the current partnership of 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 Creel or um, Delinda. So I suppose we have to sort of wait and see there with with his injury. Um, in terms of age. Um, for our international sort of listeners, just a bit of background on, on Hanukkah Mayer. When he joined the Bulls, he sort of put through a long, um, put forward a very long, detailed five-year plan of how he was going to turn the Blue Bulls around from being, you know, bottom of the, the, the table in Super Rugby to winning the, 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 the tournament. And, you know, well, we know he's, they, they won it two years and one of his sort of foundations was experience. And he went out of his way to pick specific partnerships and, and, and gain a lot of experience with those players. And, and the Springboks themselves actually benefited from that, um, from those combinations. You look at players like Victor Matfield and Bucky's Boerter. I mean, you know, the, the most uh, highly capped lock partnership of all time. And that was purely one of his game plans was to have experienced players in their positions and his feeling was that wins your games. Guys who have been there and done that, those guys will win your games. So it's hard to argue with the logic. It's worked at the Blue Bulls. Um, I think Jake White also benefited from it uh, in, in, in the World Cup. To a lesser extent, De Villiers, Peter De Villiers, the previous coach, also benefited from it, from those experienced players. So I get having the experienced heads and those guys are all leaders in their positions. So Victor Matfield, Ruan Pinar, uh, Jean de Villiers, uh, you know, these guys are all leaders. Uh, Scott Berger, you know, when you're in a tough time on the field, those are the guys who will stand up and, and kind of, you know, drag the youngsters up and, and sort of egg them on to, to better things. So I'm not, I'm not too concerned about the age. I, I do think everyone's there on merit possibly bar Ruan Pino and, and, and um, John de Villiers. But that said, neither one will let us down and, and lose a match for us. Sacrilege. Sacrilege you're talking there. You're, you're saying Ruan Pino's not good enough. He's a legendary <laughs> Ulsterman. <laughs> you can't be saying that about Ruan Pino. You'll have the, you'll have the whole of Northern Ireland on your back. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a long chat with John about this as well. And, and um, he's also he's blown away about... like he. From from what I I understand is Ruan Pinar's like got like like this cult hero status, you know in 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 yes, it, it's the in theme Ireland. of Belfast basically. We love him. We absolutely adore him in the north. 
uh, as I say, uh, you, you know, you go to Ravenhill there, and you know, uh, there's the big banners that you've been ruined, and <laughs> they just love him. They can't get enough of him. And but what he's done for us, like you know, he really dragged us forward, leaps and bounds. You know, but I'm curious. What about Victor Matfield? 38 years of age, comes back from retirement. What kind of a what kind of part do you think he's going to play in the whole thing, friend? Yeah, again, I think Victor's that leader. He's 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 been there, he's done that, he's won everything. Um, he, he's yeah, he's old. He's not as physical as he used to be, but I think we all know him as a, a proper lineout genius. Um, not at not only at his own lineout, but also at reading opposition lineouts. So. He will bring a lot in that set piece. So he'll bring a lot in the leadership role. Um, we, we, we kind of have a joke, and we don't call him Victor Matfield. We call him Centre Matfield because he spends more time playing amongst the centres than he does um, joining rucks and moors. But he does definitely bring a lot in terms of being a leader and, and his role in the lineouts. I mean, you know, that set piece is you know, becoming more and more important. And if you can steal your opposition's lineouts, then... You know, you're really in a very strong position, especially when when it's a defensive lineout for the opposition. Yeah, and then what about uh, Habana and, and the try record? Do you think it's on the cards from like you know you do have uh, you have a fairly good group there uh, to get through. You know, Scotland probably is is your is your biggest test. The Samoans will give you a physical battle, but you would expect South Africa to basically get through that group at a canter. Would would, would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, we have a couple of players who are ruled officially fit, but I don't think they'll start against Japan. Um, big players for us in Dupria and um, Dwayne Vermeulen, they, they're absolutely massive for us. You definitely wouldn't risk them against Japan simply because you don't need them to beat a Japan. And I, yeah, I agree. I think Scotland would probably be the one that would sort of run us closest. Samoa, yeah, um, just go out there and try and hurt people like they normally do. So, yeah, I, I, at the risk of signing too confident, I do think we'll, we'll win the group. In terms of Brian O'Banner, yeah, I, I kind of have this love-hate sort of feeling towards him. When he's at the Blue Bulls, I absolutely love the guy because he scored so many tries. But what's interesting to me is I've noticed his career just provincially when he's played under Haneke Meyer, he scored a lot of tries. Um, when he moved to Western Province to the Stormers, his sort of record dried up a lot. So I, I can see him still scoring quite a few for the Springboks in the World Cup. Not, not the player he used to be. Obviously, that, that pace he had is gone. But, but I think, again, he's a leader. He's been around the block. He's been there for so many years. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You, you can look to a guy like that to, to potentially not win you a game, but save you a game by, by what, he's, what he's done um, off the ball and defensively. I'm going to come back to Andrew again, um, and I want to ask him about uh, you know what, what he expects from this All Black team, and maybe the minimum that he expects from, from it. Uh, you know, which which do you see as your, your your key players to the success? Who's going to have to stand up and and to, to win the World Cup? And and what worries do you have about any failures? You know, what what, what does failure look like in, in the country of New Zealand? Because you know. Uh, I imagine a loss is, is unimaginable to the All Blacks. Uh, maybe you can fill us in a little bit on that, Andrew. Dave, I, I think uh, as a as a Kiwi rugby fan, you know, expectation is uh, that you know, nothing nothing other than the, than winning the World Cup is acceptable. And I, I think uh, if I sat here and, and said, oh, you know, you want to get out of the group, get through the quarter final, and you know, semi final would be the be the minimum. I'd, I'd probably get get uh, Get shot for it, um, you know. I think personally, for me, I think you know you really need to be hitting that that semi final stage. I mean, with the the perennial ch- well, chokers, I guess is is probably an understatement when it comes to World Cups. Constantly, the the number one team in the world in between the World Cups, and then when it gets to the big stage, you know, we're, we're talked about as chokers. And I, you know, I think the thing is with rugby that you know people. Don't you don't necessarily get with with other sports is that on their day a lot of these sides in the in the top tier uh, can can beat another side and you know with a with a World Cup and this knockout once it gets to the knockout stage you know the the form book sometimes just goes out the window all it, all it takes is a you know Sterling, a Sterling Mortlock intercept or a you know a, a missed a missed shot at, shot at goal or you know and and that can be the the difference between uh, Advancing or, or packing your bags and going home, um, I, you know. I, do I think we've got the quality to do it? Absolutely, and and I think the biggest thing about this side is the depth. As I mentioned earlier, the the key player I think that we'd struggle to fill is uh, is, is Dan Carter when he's on song. That guy is just phenomenal. But I, I think uh, in terms of guys that that really need to to step up, um, and and he'll be a key key success to. To retaining the World Cup, particularly the some of the old heads in the front row. You know, George George mentioned that that Franks and Woodcock they've looked a bit a bit shaky in the in the front row. Um, I, I think our forward pack is where, particularly when you get to the World Cup stage, the forward packs where the you know, such a cliche the platform's laid, but you really need that front football, um, and and that's the only way that you're gonna gonna do well in these tight games is to to set up your backs to be to be moving forward and and uh, you know the Aaron Smith and and whoever's playing at ten Carter to to get that front football and get that drive going and and set these electric backs that we've got um, you know with with uh, running at their opposition you know the likes of Severe I mean Severe's a freak he's you know had he one of my arguments is that had he been around at the time of Lomu 
I think he would have had the same impact, but he's got a better skill set than Lomu does. I think one of the biggest things with Lomu when he came on the scene is he, you know, he was 120 kilos. He was, you know, uh, almost two meters tall, and and he could uh, he had electric pace and uh, and and uh, such strength that you know he was, was just a phenomenon. And and I think Sevilla, you know, he's been compared to Lomu in the fact that he he breaks a lot of tackles. He's got a lot of pace. He's very good under the high ball though, and he's and he can he's got a kicking game as well. And that that's what Lomu didn't really have. Uh, ben Smith at, at fullback, you know, he's he's had success winning the Super 15. He's a, a an electric player when he gets in some space. He, he him and Conrad Smith, they both know how to. Um, well, they seem to break tackles and they don't really have a a lot of bulk in them. Um, but uh, yeah, they they both slide through tackles. But I think as you mentioned earlier as well, uh, George, this Nehi Milner Scudder, he is uh, he is a talent, and and I think if he is chosen as a first choice winger. Uh, he will score a lot of tries in this World Cup. Who else? Ma Nonu, I already spoke about him. I, I think this season for him has been amazing. Um, I, I think uh, whenever he's come on the field, he, he's just uh, changed the game. I, I think in the, the Aussies, the last time out against Australia, he he really just owned that midfield and and uh, and scored a couple of tries. And he uh, in, in the Super 15 this year, he he really stepped up and 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 was was solid. Uh, Aaron Smith, he's been amazing in, in that halfback there. Um, clearly set himself up as the number one halfback in New Zealand and, and uh, potentially number one halfback in the world now. I, I, I think he's really brought a lot to his game, a lot of those short darting runs. His, his pass is clean and fast. Um, and, uh, you know, that's what you want for a halfback. We, we often had a halfback in this country who would take one or two steps to clear the ball, and, and by then you've shut down all your space for your your first five, second five, and uh, Smith just doesn't do that. But I guess the, the main man, and, and uh, some people probably be wondering why I didn't pick him as, as I guess, you know, my, one of my favourite players, but it's pretty hard to go past uh, our captain and, and, and leader is, with Richie McCaw. Uh, just commands so much respect on the field, both from, from the All Blacks and from the opposition. And in New Zealand, we say that the, you know, we, we talk about the mana that someone has and... and it's it's kind of the aura, but just the the massive respect that everyone has for the player. He's one of those guys where, you know, it uh, gets criticised a hell of a lot for you know he's over the hill, he's past it, and then he just comes out with a blistering performance. And she's he's looking very trim at the moment and and very very fit. And uh, I think you know he's one of those guys that just adds ten percent to the players around him. No, I'm really looking forward to seeing this guy Savia. Um, I. I haven't seen an awful lot of him, and, and just the way you've described there, I just can't wait to see him. Um, you, you know, the comparisons to Lomo, uh, etc. But I think for me, with, with the All Blacks at the minute, it, and it's a point I want to bring up with you, Andrew, it's the speed of recycling of the ball. It, it's, it's just other planetary. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm a very scary, scared Irishman watching it. it, it it's bloody scary. Yeah, it, it, I think, you know, one of the, the key things the All Blacks have always well, often had over other sides has just been the the superior fitness level um, and just the speed that they play. It just rips teams off their feet. We always used to talk about, you know, the likes of the Irish and the Welsh would come at you. They'll come at you for sort of 30, 40 minutes and then the wheels would fall off and, you know, would take control. And I think the thing is teams are starting to catch up on that. And my biggest concern about that is is just how, you know, 
the English are very good at just slowing the ruck ball down. Aussie have been able to do that to us in the past, and and this is that's my my biggest concern with that is just the, uh, you know, what's the plan B, uh, and and uh, I think, you know, we got the monkey off the back with uh, by winning the last World Cup in 2011 and, and winning it at home and. You know that final took took some of those players to places that they'll never, you know, they've never been, and you know that second half in particular. And I, I think a lot of the guys will be better for that, um, and just kind of brought that on-field leadership and on-field game plan to the fore. You know, I guess a lot of the concerns is around guys who, you know, they they just freak out when it's not going to plan and and don't quite know what to do. Um, Quade Cooper is is one of those guys for me where, you know, when when Aussies got go forward and he's got the the time and space he's just amazing but he seems to fall to bits when when he when they're under the pump and he's going backwards and and uh the scoreboard is not in their favor and um I, I think it's just this this pressure thing not being able to deal with this pressure and, and i i kind of feel now that the all blacks are just able to to deal with the pressure a lot more um well i hope anyway but uh yeah i i think we will go far in this tournament dave and and uh yeah, from from mine, you know, you're talking about the uh, a lot of people look at the All Blacks as the team and and the concern. Well, you know, mine's my concern is getting to a final with the like with Ireland in there because they they scare the shit out of me. That Irish side, just I think they um, they're really fizzing and humming. And uh, you know, I think over over in the uh, the Northern Hemisphere to come up against that side in the final, I, I think we'll do well to get a jammy win against them like what we have in the last few times out. I don't, I don't want the All Blacks in the final. Don't get me wrong. To win the World Cup, you have to beat the All Blacks, really, to, 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 to say you are the champion. But just being Irish, you know, there's so many scars there, Andrew. Like, I mean, the last one was pretty damn special. The last scar was pretty damn deep. Uh, and, you know, I think we, we talked on the other pod from an Irish perspective. Getting past the quarterfinals is our first hurdle. And anything after that is just a bonus because we're just we're, we're quarterfinal fallers every time. Okay, so I'm mindful of time here, guys, so I'm going to swing across to George here quickly. Um, same question to you. You know, Obviously, you're not Australian, but uh, what do you see as, as um, the prospects for Australia, what, and, and what do you feel will be the, the minimum that they will be required to, to, to achieve, given that you know, they do have a very good squad, they have a very good bench, you know, the strength and depth there. What really is, is, is the, the, the expectation for the tournament, and, and you know, who do you see as the players that will be key to, to achieving that? Yeah, so just just quickly before I start on Australia, I just want to say pretty much everything Andrew has said uh, about Julian Surveyor. If, if you're sort of uh, a Lomu fan, this guy is 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 pretty much Lomu on steroids, um, just just with an unbelievable skill set. So you're going to enjoy watching him. Um, his hands are just incredible. Um, so yeah, I think if they pick him and uh, Milner Scudder on both wings, that's that's definitely not going to be short of entertainment. In, in in terms of the Wallabies, what the expectations are? Look, that if they don't get out of the groups, that that won't be good enough for them. And it it doesn't matter that it's a tough group; they've got too much too much talent um, not to be disappointed if they don't get out. So I think it's difficult for them coming over to the Northern Hemisphere and and being in a in a group with two sides in England and Wales who are are both very strong. You know, I think people are. People are sort of, you know, saying with, with Wales now, now that Halfpenny and Reese Webb have gone down in the last week, you know, it, does that change things? I don't, I don't think it really does that much. There might be a bit of a controversial point of view. Halfpenny's fantastic player in the way he covers the backfield defensively uh, and in terms of his goal kicking. 
but he's put on a lot of bulk in the last three or four years. And offensively, he's quite limited. He doesn't really hit the line and he doesn't beat many tackles. Uh, Liam Williams, who's the guy who'll come in, is just, you know, I, I don't know if Brent will remember, he played in the second test. I don't know if it was last year for Wales down in South Africa and was just phenomenal. So Liam will come in and give Wales a greater offensive threat. Um, but then teams like Australia and England might look to put him under a little bit more pressure on the high ball, kicking in behind. Um, and obviously we'll feel free to give away, you know, maybe compete a little bit more of the breakdown on the halfway line because they'll know that Wales don't know have a goal kicker who can just knock it over from there. So I, I think Wales will still be very strong. I, I don't think the injuries change things that much. Um, from an Australian point of view, you know, if we go we, we go through the side, I think in terms of the front row, they've, they've got Scott Sio who's come in, young loose head from the Brumbies who has had a really positive impact for them. Um, gave away a couple scrum penalties down in uh, down at Eden Park in the last game against the All Blacks. So you know that'll be a bit of a concern. But they've brought in this, you know, ex-Argentinian hooker, Mario Ledesma, who's been working on the scrum. and All the noise is coming out of that. He's having a really positive effect. So I don't think either the English or Welsh scrum are looking as good as they have in the past at the moment either. So that's probably something worth considering. And you move into the second row is a massive, massive concern. Um, I think if you're an Aussie, uh, they've got Rob Simmons in there, who's the guy who calls the line out. He just doesn't impact the game in the loose. He doesn't make yards. He doesn't get over the gain line when he carries. He doesn't knock people back when he tackles them. His work rate's pretty good, but he's, you know, he's not the type of guy who's, you know, putting in hits like a Courtney Laws or getting around the pitch like a Brody Italic. He's just not going to give you that. Um, and against England and Wales, who, you know, their front five is strong, especially in the second row. You have got Alan Wynne Jones, Courtney Laws. That that's a worry. Um, it's a big worry for them. They've they've rushed back Kane Douglas from injury. He's a checker favourite. Um, he's come back over from Leinster and signed a deal to play in Australia for the next few years. Um, it's a massive ask for him. He, he hasn't really played in a long time, but he is a very abrasive kind of player. So hopefully he'll give them a bit of an edge. He, he's going to have to because because Simmons just isn't going to give you that. So it's you know a lot of onus on Kane Douglas to really get around the field and impose himself they've got will skelton who's the young guy from the waratahs he's just a just a physical anomaly basically um he's just huge um i don't know whether he'll play or not he, you, you can't lift him in the line out, so that's a bit of a concern for them um and his fitness is a bit of an issue as well whether he can get through you know i, I don't think he can really play more than 50 60 minutes um in terms of the back row it'll be scott fardy at six i would think and then you would imagine they're, they're going to look to play Hooper and Pocock together, and basically, you know, especially against an England side that that just don't have an out-and-out out seven. Um, you know, Chris Robshaw's a six; he's a great work rate, but he he doesn't get over the ball. So, they, they, you know, I think they'll have to look to play Hooper and Pocock against England, even if it's taking a risk of looking a little lightweight in terms of ball carrying from number eight. The options for the Wallabies at eight aren't particularly good either. They've got Wycliffe Parlu, who's not getting any younger and has struggled for form. And they've got uh, Ben McCallman, who, who's sort of formed for the Western Force in the Super 15 and a poor side is really good, but has just never really got going at test level. So I think they'll probably be forced to, you know, I think they've got to be looking at playing um, Pocock at number eight. But it will be interesting to see. I was really surprised he picked two number eights in the squad if the plan is to play Hooper and Pocock together. 
Um, so we'll, we'll just have to see what, what, what they do there. But but look, it, they'll be very strong in the back row and, and they're going to give teams a hard time in the breakdown. Uh, the balance between Hooper and Pocock. Pocock plays a little closer into the ruck. Hooper likes to get out into the wide channels. is is really, really nice. They're just going to give you problems all over the pitch. So um, that's pretty intimidating for the other sides in the group. As I said earlier, 9, 10, 12, don't know who he's going to pick. Um, so whoever plays that is going to be massive for them. Uh, the halfbacks, I, I, I'm sure it will be Will Gania to come back in because Nick Phipps has looked so poor for for the Waratahs and sort of, you know, the end of season run in and for the Wallabies in the last couple of months, his service has been really erratic. Um, it's a bizarre selection for me. Do, 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 what do you think picking Phipps in the squad ahead of White? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It was a, it I was think, a strange, yeah. I mean, I, I, White was good against us and he, he changed, he kind of took this game on the scrap of the neck, but uh, yeah, Phipps, I just don't rate him at all. He kicked, White kicks, you know, he's probably their best percentage goal kicker as well. They, this is the other thing, is that they, they don't have a goal kicker. They don't have anyone who kicks above 65%, which is not good enough at test level. So it's one of the things with, with you know, whether they're going to pick Bernard Foley or not is that his goal kicking is just, you know, in the past couple of months watching him, just the way he strikes the ball is, is really poor. He just snatches at it. So that's a concern. I, I think Andrew mentioned earlier, it, it's so important that their pack is competitive because they don't have a fly half that can dig in on the back foot and keep you in the game. Neither Cooper or Folio are going to do that for you. If you're on the back foot, they both tend to crumble. So it's really, you know, if they can't, you know, they can't keep the scrum up and they're not competitive enough, especially in second row, then, you know, almost what happens behind the scrum isn't really relevant because they just won't be able to stay in the games against these guys. But I, I would pick Cooper at 10. I, I, I just think he's worth the risk over Foley. I think Foley's a nice little player, but he's, you know, Cooper can give you a lot more. Um, I, and then you also have the added benefit, you know, if you're picking Genia and Cooper, those guys have played a lot together and they just seem to feed off each other. Um, I think combinations, you know, guys who have played together before a lot going into a World Cup we've spoken about earlier is massive. So maybe you get that a bit more with Cooper and Genia together rather than Genia and Foley. I don't think I've really played very much rugby together at all. Again, at 12, don't know who he's going to pick. You know, Matt Tamua, I think, is just phenomenal. You know, kicks really well, big in defence, great distributor of the ball, tends to take the ball really flat to the line. But then you've got Matt Gitto, who's been phenomenal for too long over in the Northern Hemisphere, which is probably an added benefit as well. Um, so whoever plays that is going to have a massive job because Jamie Roberts can be running down their channel. So they're going to have a big job defensively. Um, and then they need Tavita Kurajani at 13 to step up. And, you know, he's had a bit of a patchy last couple of months. He's a huge player for them, really talented guys. He needs to be the guy who breaks the line. And then, you know, probably their best player at 15, Israel Folau, um, along with David Pocock for me, is just, you know, spoken about a few guys tonight who physically are just, just absolute freaks, and, and he's one of those. He's, you know, the way he gets up in the air, um, it's just just incredible. So um, he, you know, he's a massive plus for them. He's going to cause anyone problems if you get him, get him sort of in the outside channels, running at people. So talk about key players. I've just gone through the whole team. Um, no, I, I think in second row they need to be competitive in the loose. That's massive for them. They need to keep the scrum up, um, and then the halfbacks are the concern. They don't know who they're going to pick and. Uh, something's going to have to happen there um, because it's it's definitely a worry. 
No, you've made some really good calls in there. Like, you know, couldn't really disagree with me. I want to stick with you and give you a say on Wales. I don't know whether you saw it, but Shane Williams came out in the press this week and uh, he sort of took a little bit of a sort of side shot at Wales about uh, the physicality they showed in the warm-up games and along the lines of the half-penny injury and whatnot. Would you agree with that? Um, you know, I know from, from you know a lot of people said to me about Ireland and, and, and we lost the last two warm-up games, which don't concern me at all. Because I think the, the, the Ireland team was basically playing within itself. I think it was under orders to play within itself. I don't read a great deal into it. When you go into a test rugby match for real, um, I think it's very different. But there was criticisms sort of angled towards the Welsh camp, but maybe taking the, the warm-up games too seriously. What, what would your spin on that be? Uh, look, in terms of you know that, that Ireland performance at Twickenham in the first 40 minutes, I'd Sort of, uh, they they will never play that badly again. It was just, it, I think it was just one of those, um, what you know, just a bad day at the office. It was that that first forty minutes. You know, Joe Schmidt's a, a real perfectionist, and he would have been tearing his hair out watching that. Um, so, so I agree. I, I wouldn't be concerned from an Irish perspective. Um, from an English perspective, maybe the fact that the game was so close and they should have been further ahead. Um, but uh, that's probably me just needling a little bit. Um, in terms of Wales, well, we covered we covered that in the last pod. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we covered the nobody had to go going through in the last pod. I think we've taken enough. <laughs> we, we we covered that, and then two of Wales' best players went and got injured at the weekend. So there's there's some karma for you. Um, no, look, I, I think in terms of Wales, there's this sort of thing in the press that you get where a lot of ex players come out and like to run their mouths the whole time, and a lot of what they say is just really unhelpful. Um, Shane Williams is an absolute hero of mine, but coming out and saying, you know, should these guys have been on the pitch in this warm-up game? Should we have been holding them back? It's just ridiculous. You know, England put out a first-choice team against uh, against uh, Ireland at Twickenham. You know, you, you can't not play these guys. You can't, you, you know, you can't not give them rugby before the tournament starts. It's just ridiculous. So you're just going to get unlucky. Uh, Halfpenny, it wasn't even in contact the way he went over the ball. The, you know, the, the ball got chipped over the top, and then it, a strange bounce, and he was going to change direction. And he just went over awkwardly on his knee. There are also people saying that you know Halfpenny had strapping on his knee, so should he be on the pitch? You know, I, 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 I'm sure Andrew will, will test, testament to this. But I don't think Richie McCaw has played a game of rugby without strapping for about ten years. So having strapping on your leg doesn't mean that you're not fine to play. Uh, exactly. Yeah, I agree with that. No, I also think just to to weigh in on this argument, I mean, you know, there's a limit set on the pre pre warm up games, uh, pre World Cup games that you could play, and and I think it might have been might have been five or might have been six. But you know, you need your best players having a hit out. You can't pre- protect them in cotton wool and then expect them to go with immediate match fitness into that first game of the World Cup, particularly in a pool of death like what Wales have got. So, yeah. You know, yeah, I think it's just reacting to the injury happening, and it's just the the this comments that they're making just don't don't make sense. No, I, I think it's just it's just you know all of the benefit of hindsight really isn't it? And I think people are upset. You know, for me as much as anything, I'm just gutted for the guys on a personal level. When you look at Reese Webb's been, you know, top try scorer in the Pro 12 League last year, he's had a real breakthrough. He's managed to shift Mike Phillips out of the team. He's been there for years, and. Um, and, you know, Lee Halfpenny, who's got a massive contract to go and play for Toulon, uh, man of the series for the Lions in 2013 in Australia. You know, these guys deserve to play in a home World Cup. Um, and they've been away for two months in 
Qatar and Switzerland basically getting absolutely uh, beasted in terms of the conditioning they were doing. So to do all of that and then get injured at the final hurdle is just cruel. No, look, I, I think the comments are really unhelpful from people like Shane Williams, but, but I think Wales will cope fine. I think they've got Gareth Davies coming through. Um, he's not the only concern with him. He doesn't really have any experience at test level, but he is as good a player as Reese Webb. He's as talented. He does similar things. It's very quick, snipes around the ruck. So I, I think he could go really well. And then, you know, I mentioned Liam Williams earlier. This, this guy is just, just, uh, just a really, really, really good rugby player. He's good under the high ball. He's, you know, offensively quite a few levels above what Halfpenny gives you. So that would be nice because, yeah, concerned with Wales. And, you know, in recent years, they're a little bit blunt offensively if they're not running over people. So Liam will give you that nice bit of variety from the back. So any team's going to miss Halfpenny and, and Reese Webb if they're, if they're injured. But um, you've just got to get on with it. Other teams are going to get injuries throughout the tournament. You know, as Andrew will talk about, was it three or four fly halves going down the last World Cup? So, you just got to cope with it. It's going to happen to everyone. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think you just got to get on with it, really. Listen, I want to bring Brent in because he's been very quiet on it there. Brent, again, same question to you. What, what do you think, uh, given your, your, your sort of hesitancy um, around the box at the minute, um, what do you see as, as you know, satisfactory for, for, for the Springboks in this tournament? And, you know, I'm, I'm looking back at the, uh, the, the results in the Autumn International Series, you started the last time you played up in the Northern Hemisphere. You won two, lost two. Um, what, what's your thinking, and who do you think is going to be standout? Who are the key men for 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 you getting success? So, you know, yes, I'm I'm a little bit hesitant about our chances, but as a nation, we are a proud rugby nation, and we do have high expectations. Um, if we don't make a semi-final, there will be disappointment. Um, and it also depends on the group stages. So if we if we absolutely dominated the group, and and we you know fly through the quarterfinal, it's going to be expectation for a final. That said, we are either playing England or Australia in the quarterfinal, and we are playing New Zealand in the semi-final. So it's not going to be ideal an ideal route to the final. So I think realistically we're thinking semi-final. I mean, sorry, quarterfinal. We will obviously make that without a problem it's yeah um i think we can beat england australia at the moment playing good rugby i think we'll we'll struggle a bit there in terms of key players it, it, it's nice for once uh, to actually highlight backs because i think historically we've had a very very strong forward pack and and, and for a long time we played 10-man rugby um i think uh, andrew will back me up i think hansen was talking about how exciting the the, the back backline was looking, um, and yeah, we haven't really had that kind of excitement here for 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 many years. So for me, if he's fit, Fruidi Priya is going to be massive, massive for us. He's, I think, as Andrew spoke about having having um, scrum off, he can his his service is quick and sharp. I, I call Ruan Pinar's two step Pinar because it's two steps before he releases the pass, and and you know, as we know, there's no more space. At least Dupree has got a much, much quicker service. His decision-making is impeccable. He's obviously old, but, but just his, his, his rugby brain is probably second to none in South Africa. Andre Pollard, he's one of those guys you can beat New Zealand by himself, but it depends on his pack and it depends on, on his consistency. He's, he's immensely talented, but people forget he's still a kid. Um, he, he's, he doesn't have the experience. 
never mind an international, but even a super rugby level, he hasn't played a lot of rugby. So, you know, if he's if he's in form, he he'll he'll you know possibly win a final by himself. But he's one of those guys who's either going to be amazing or he's going to be pretty average, like he was in the last few internationals. Then, for me, fullback of Billy Larue, he's for me he's like the assist master. Um, he just he creates so so much with with the angles he runs, just with his final pass. You know, he's one of those guys who's capable of of this, you know, mercurial, you know, amazing sort of skill or a bit of a brain fart in the back somewhere. You have to be good because he's not a big physical guy and it's a it's a known fact that Hanukkah Mayer prefers bulk over um smaller sort of less physical players and, and so really he's forced his way in despite being a smaller guy and he's not as physical. So I think he, he's potentially um, a game-breaker for us. In terms of forwards, I think Bismarck Duplessis, we've spoken about these physical anomalies. He's one of those guys. He's, um, you know, yes, he's a hooker, but he, he's like a limpet mine on, on, over the ball. If he gets there first, he's going to turn over the ball. He's physically... You know, a powerhouse on the you know running with the ball, and of course, obviously, it brings a lot to our scrum. So, as long as he can keep a discipline in in, in line, I think I think he's also going to be a game breaker for us. But yeah, it's like I said, it's nice for once to speak about backs and not um, not not too many forwards that'll that'll break a game for us. No, I, I hear what you're saying, um, but as I say. You know, I, I look at it from a Northern Hemisphere um, perspective. I'm sure George is the same. You just look at the Springboks and you, you panic. You know, you look at you look at the team that they're bringing there, and you're going to cause loads of problems for teams. And, and I think it was Andrew said earlier on at this level of rugby, one mistake can be the difference between winning and losing. Um, so, you know, and, and I want to keep going. Who, who do you see as your favourite Brent for the tournament? Um, you know, who do you see as, as the eventual winners? And, and who would you who would you see as the overperformers, the team most likely to maybe cause a few shocks along the way? Yeah, I, th- I think we all know uh, New Zealand are going to be the favourites. Uh, pre-season form, I mean pre-World Cup form, Super Rugby. Um, I, I, I know Andrew, like you guys, look at them as potentially as chokers. I uh, I think from a South African point of view, we don't see them as the chokers side in the World Cup. Yeah, I think I think they're going to dominate completely this World Cup again. I don't think we have a chance against them in the semi-final. In terms of uh, people going to cause a few shocks, I would have said Ireland, and maybe I'm judging too much on pre-season, but I mean, on, on, on warm-up games and friendlies. Um, uh, yeah, their last two weren't great. I did put money on them to win uh, for good odds, so... Yeah, let me stick by it. I, th- I think Ireland are gonna gonna upset a few, and I can see them being probably the best chance for the Northern Hemisphere to 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 win the World Cup this year. No, I couldn't disagree with you on that. I think that probably we are the, we are we're fancied, and I don't like that. I'd, I'd much prefer that we weren't fancied. To be fair, um, you know, as I say, we've got the first thing for Ireland, and, and I keep mentioning it in these pods, is we've got to get beyond the quarter final because we've never done that in our history. Um, and that, that's a huge thing. So, you know, it, they, they do fit into the tag of dark horses because our history isn't, isn't just as good 
uh, with that. Um, I'm going to come back to George again. George, um, who have you got down? Who would you say are your winners? And who do you see as the overperformers? So, we spoke about this a little bit on the past pod. Um, I'm actually a lot more optimistic about the Springboks than Brent is. Maybe a lot of that's contingent on whether it's going to be Jean de Villiers playing or whether it's going to be uh, D'Alando and Creel. I I really hope it is D'Alando and Creel because they're just such exciting players. Um, I I just think that, you know, you look at the guys in the front row, Yanni Yanni de Plessis, the Plessis brothers, um, and then the second row, they've got Evan Atzaba, who's just a monster. And I've got another young kid called Lou de Diego. I don't know if the pronunciation's right on that. It's probably, almost certainly not. Um, de Jager. De Jager. Okay, right. Yeah. Okay, so for future, for future reference. He's a really, really good player as well. If, I, don't, you know, I don't know how if Matt Field will, you know, he's not getting any younger, so I don't know if he'll last the tournament. And then, that, you know, I think Brent spoke about their back row options earlier. It's just scary. They've left... Marcel Kutzia and Heinrich Brousseau at home, which is just nuts. So they'll get to win for Mullen back fit at eight, who's probably the best number eight in the world. I don't know. You know, Kieran Reid on his day, Sergio Parisa, very good players, but Vermeulen's just an animal. Um, and then as Brent said earlier, they've got, you know, these really exciting young players and Willy LaRue. So I really like the box. I think, I think there's a concern. I'd, I'd be interested to see what Andrew thinks about this, but I think there's a concern for the All Blacks in the semi-final if it's against the box that, you know, the box like to play two flankers who get over the ball and compete on the floor and then McCaw's kind of slightly ganged up on. And I think there's a concern for the All Blacks that they might get a little out for in that area. So it's probably, yeah, I don't know, it's a very controversial thing to say. No, I think so. And I think um, there was a lot of hype around this, uh, you know, uh, who was it, Pocock and and, um, and what's-his-face for Aussie. But, um, you know, in saying that, it's probably the worst game the All Blacks have played in a long time as well. And, and I think that, that that skewed it somewhat. I mean, I'm not going to take credit away from the Aussies. They won the game. and and But, uh, you know, I, I think, um, yeah... Mobility around that around that rucket, you know. I think I think uh, Hanson would just would just pick pick players to to uh, you know to suit the game, and and if that means playing, you know, the muscle men of of, of Kaino and and Reed uh, and McCaw, or if he he needs someone who's just got a bit more a bit more pace and uh, to the breakdown, such as a Victor Vito, um, I, you know, I don't I don't think would would lose a huge lot. But in saying that, you know, the, the box of those hard teams to come against where, you know, you need to bring the physicality and, and pace at the same time. And um, yeah, it's one of those conundrums, yeah, come away on the day and, and uh, one team wants it a bit more. It's, uh, it's going to be a, a sad state of affairs in someone's home nation. It's the whole thing about the tournament is that you sit down and try and make predictions and you try and make predictions about who's going to get out of the England-Wales-Australia group and you try and say on a one-off day who's going to win between New Zealand and South Africa or whatever. These games are decided on such fine margins. So it's it's one slightly dodgy call at the breakdown. It's one yellow card. It's it's, it's one poor decision by a player in defence where he might step out a little bit and someone comes through. You know, you can talk all day about, you know, what might happen, but... The reality is that these teams are, you know, they're so it's so close between a lot of them that just on the day, it, it's tiny things that decide matches. So I, I, I think anyone who, with any great confidence, is going to say, you know, England and Wales are going to get out of the group, or you know, this team are going to do this. It's just 
it's just so difficult to say. Listen, uh, I just want to I want to get Andrew's uh, opinion on on his winners and his overperformers because we are time is marching on on us, gents. Andrew, your winners and come on, be original. <laughs> yeah, hello. I mean, I, I uh, I'm not going to surprise anyone here, and, and I you know I'm going to going to plug for the ABs. I, I think on a on our day or even when we're a bit below par, I think we're probably probably a lot stronger than than most of the the sides in this in this competition. Um, as I say, I mean we we probably played our worst game that I, I remember watching a, a, as a All Black fan against Australia uh, a few weeks back a few weeks back, and and um, you know that that doesn't happen too often. And, and uh, fingers crossed that uh, yeah that that was our one for the season out the way. Um, I. I I'm going to stick with what I said earlier, and I, I do think that the Irish will be the uh, the the team to look out for in the World Cup. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think the, the the way they're playing their rugby and and the way that they're, they're just humming now and their and their own conditions, I, I think they're really going to be a side that's that's going to be hard to beat. Um, my team that I think might overachieve, I think people are going to have to watch out for the Samoans. Um, I think you know they should be able to get out of that pool with with the box, and and Scotland is probably the only other team to to challenge them. I think they'll get out of there, and then once they get through there, it's, it's anybody's game. Um, you know, they they've brought a lot more to their game now than what they they had previously. You know, they they're not just that team that goes out there and just tries to to smash other teams off the park um, recklessly. Uh, they, you know, when New Zealand went over and played the Manapia, uh, their, their first World Cup warm up game, and you know it was a solid game. But you know they have shown that they can they can foot it with. With a lot of these top sides, and again, when it comes down to a, a one-off game, it all just depends whether their heads are in it on the day. But if, if it is, then um, then I, I think they will be a team that is both exciting and and a team to look out for. No, I hear you, and and you know, from my point of view, the All Blacks are probably the only one. Like I, I want the All Blacks. You know, if Ireland don't win it, it's the All Blacks. They're they're, they're probably everybody's favourite. Uh, a team apart from from your own nation, you know what I mean. It's, it's like Brazilian football. You, you go out of your way to watch them. It's just it's sensational stuff. But listen, time has marched on us, gents. And I just want to go around to the table for any plugs that you have, anything you're writing or or any articles, um, anything you want to give a plug to, and where where we can find you on Twitter. And we'll stay with you, Andrew. We'll go first. Yes, yeah, so I'm uh, on Twitter at at Kopgoff, K-O-P-G-O-F-F, uh, and uh, yeah, there's. Um, Probably as, as we get on in the tournament, there'll be a, be a few more plugs. Um, I, I'm just uh, grateful to, to be part of this podcast. And, and uh, as I say, as, as uh, the World Cup goes on, I'll have a, a few accounts for, for people to, to uh, follow just to, um, you know, to be able to find out a bit more about, about stats and about opinion pieces that will be going on. No, indeed. Honestly, I think it was about, about three, four months ago that you and Brent had this idea for the World Cup, and, and here we are. So, so it's great. We'll come over to Brent. Where can we find you on, on Twitter, Brent? And have you any plugs? Uh, yeah, it's, it's Brent V underscore RSA. Mostly football, some rugby ranting. But yeah, with Andrew, I think there'll be a few more plugs later on. But yeah, at the moment, it's just that little small one we are moan a lot and swear. Oh, we can't be bad to that. And George, uh, have you got anything out at the moment, or I'm working to find you on Twitter? Uh, no, so, so, so on Twitter, I'm GJ Berman, B-E-R-M-A-N. Um, and the only thing I really, really quickly want to plug, just for people that are moaning about Wales and Australia taking only two hookers to the World Cup, uh, is the number of minutes played by hookers in the 2011 World Cup. 
quickly. So this is the third choice hooker. New Zealand, eight. South Africa, none. Ireland, 19. Wales, 18. Australia, 28. So anyone who's moaning about teams picking only two hookers, third choice hookers barely play any minutes. That's a really fair point. Listen, we have, we've run over a bit of time here, but uh, we'll need to bring this to a close. I'd just like to thank the three of you for being on. I'm really looking forward to like We've only a week to go before it starts, and I'm really, really, really looking forward to, to the start of the tournament and getting talking some rugby when the games start. I just want to plug the AI channel up. Um, it's free to download. That's that's our home. That's where you'll find us on this app. And uh, I'll say you'll find lots of things. Even you know, it, it is Liverpool Football FC. It started as as that site, but it, it's developed into so much more. There's movies, there's televisions, there's there's all kinds of pods on there. Um, it makes it makes your commuting easy. Um, they're very digestible. Uh, and, and basically, my Twitter handle is uh, DaveRN66. Uh, you can find me there. I'll say mostly rugby and football. And also, this podcast has um, has its own uh, Twitter handle now, the AI Sinbin Podcast. So if you want to give us a follow there. But listen, I just want to say thanks again to the three guys. An absolute pleasure talking to you. We could have talked here all night, I think. Uh, whenever you get down to the Southern Hemisphere, you get into the real rugby world. Um, and it's been a pleasure talking to you guys. But from us in the pod, we'll be back again after, after a few games have been played in the World Cup. And hopefully you'll come back and listen to us. Give us a bit of a plug to your friends and relations if they follow the game. Uh, they're more than welcome to come and give us a listen. But until the next time, from myself, Dave Cairns, thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Bye. On a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. 